I'm in studio with Larry Elder. That was the shortest intro I've ever given. Oh yeah, yeah. Good to see you, my man. I see you too. All right, we just did a quick live stream because there's a little sort of up in the air situation as to whether you're gonna actually be on the recall ballot. You are running for governor of California. We're gonna conduct this interview as if you are gonna be on the ballot. I believe you are gonna be on the ballot. I'm gonna be on the ballot. I got good lawyers and people say, Possession of the law. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. No, it's not. Possession of a good lawyer is nine-tenths of the law. I got good lawyers, and we're going to beat this. Okay, so let's just drop all that. You're going to be on the ballot. You did it. You decided to get in the game. I had people begging me. There's a gajillion people out there, like Fix California. Nobody ever, no good people, decent people ever want to get in. What finally dragged you to do it? So many people like you approached me and said, why don't you do this? Dennis Prager first asked me, and I said, Dennis, hell no. And he said, why? And I said, California is practically ungovernable. We have two-thirds supermajority in the Senate, two-thirds supermajority in the Assembly, plus a left-wing governor. The, the environmentalists run this state. The teachers' union dominate this state. It's almost ungovernable. Hell no. Dennis said, oh, okay, I understand. And then I got approached by a guy named Pastor Jack Hibbs, also a very good friend of mine. And he made the same argument Dennis did. And then a friend of mine named Lionel Chetwin, Chetwin a longtime filmmaker, also made the same argument. And then just normal people that I know in my life, my gardener, my, the guy that drives me from time to time, the guy that opens the door when I come into my, uh, to my office buildings from time to time, people that, were, that I work with. And nobody said, well, Larry, geez, you have a great life. I mean, my goodness, you're starting to make money now, and, and uh, you've got a long-time relationship with your girlfriend, Nina. Why jeopardize all that? And nobody's lived a perfect life, and I'm sure you haven't, too. Why expose? And no one said that. I kept waiting for somebody yeah. I respect to say that. My mother and my father are no longer with us. Uh, my brother just died. He was my best friend. He died September 13, 2019, two weeks before his 70th birthday. And I know what he would have said. He would have said, go for it. That's just how he is. Uh, my mom would have said, go for it. My dad would have been more reluctant about my own privacy and my own career, but my mother would have said, go for it. She's been more political than I am. So I couldn't, I ran out of, I ran out of reasons not to do it. And the more I watched Gavin Newsom, the more he ticked me off. The way he was sitting at that restaurant called the French Laundry, Dave, I never even heard of that restaurant until he was there. I thought it was probably the most elite restaurant in California. It's not. I thought it was the most elite restaurant in America. It's not. It's one of the most elite restaurants in the world. Oh, yeah. And here he is sitting there incurring a tab. Some people say it's 12 grand. I heard it was high as 30 grand with the very medical professionals uh, and the lobbyists that drafted the mandates that they were violating by not wearing masks and by not socially distancing. At the height of lockdown. This wasn't two weeks and ago. And his... Two kids were enjoying in-person private education, and he exempted his own winery from the, from the mandates. And this kind of arrogant, smug, entitled attitude really started taking me off. And then you add to that the crime, and the homelessness, and the hellacious cost of living in California. My dad came to California in 1945, right after the war. He's from Athens, Georgia. And he came out here on a run. He was a Pullman porter. And he was amazed you could walk into the front door of a restaurant and get served. And he kind of thought, maybe someday I'll make a middle note and come back to California. Pearl Harbor, my dad joins the Marines. I said, Dad, why the Marines? He said, two reasons. They go where the action is, and I love the uniforms. My dad was in charge of cooking for the colored soldiers. He was a staff sergeant. My dad could look at a cake, Dave, and tell you what's in it. That's how good he is. He goes back to Chattanooga where he met and married my mom, and he's going to get him a job as a short order cook. So he goes to restaurant, to restaurant, to restaurant, and he's told to his face, we don't hire niggers. Goes to an unemployment office. Uh, the lady says she went through the wrong door. My dad sees colored lonely in the hall, goes through that door to the very same lady who sent him out. She just wanted him to know what the rules were. 
He goes back to my mom and said, this is BS. I'm going to L.A. where I've been on a run. I'm going to get me a job as a cook, and I'll send for you in a couple of days. Dad comes out, walks around for a day and a half, and he's told, I'm sorry, you don't have any references. My dad said, I need references to make ham and eggs. So he goes to the unemployment office, this time just one door, and the lady says, I have nothing. My dad says, what time do you open? She says, nine. What time do you close? Uh, she said, five. My dad said, I'll be sitting in that chair until you find something. Sat there for one day, came back, sat there for half a day. She calls him up, sir, I've got something. I don't think you're going to want it. My dad said, of course I'm going to want it. What is it? She said, it's a job cleaning toilets and the Bisco brand bread. My dad did that for 10 years, took a second job at another bread company called Barbara Ann Bread. You're too young to remember that company. It's now defunct. Uh, two jobs, 10 years, full-time cleaning toilets. Saved up enough money to buy a house in South Central Los Angeles that is now valued at $600,000. I just checked with Zillow the other day. Wonderful for us because it's in our family. But somebody, eighth grade dropout, could not duplicate my dad's success from the poverty to middle class if he or she worked three jobs. That's how bad the cost of living has become in California. The average price in California is 150% more than the average price in America. And according to Leo Hanian, one of the many experts that I've um, uh, interviewed on my radio show over the years, he's a brilliant econ professor at UCLA, he says houses in California are 50% more than they would be but for the environmental laws and the extremists that have been using them to stop construction of housing, which is why we have a housing shortage and it's why so many young people are leaving uh, California and going to places like Tennessee and Florida. Uh, and Texas. There's a magazine, Dave, called CEO Magazine. Don't know if you're familiar with it. They've been around 17 years. And based upon things like taxes, spending, uh, unfunded pension liabilities, the power of, of public sector unions, uh, and the degree to which the business climate is friendly or not friendly, California has been rated number 50 of all 50 states for the entire 17 years CEO Magazine has been published. It is outrageous. And this guy is doing nothing at all about it. Okay, so that story starts, however, with your dad coming out here because things were better out here. What went wrong here and when did it get wrong and did something snap, you think, in the last two years because of lockdown that really like pushed it over the edge? Well, yeah, to answer the latter part of your question, it was a lockdown because of the way Gavin Newsom imposed these mandates against science and the way the teachers union kept getting paid while telling kids not to go back to in-school learning, even after the CDC said it was okay. 75% of black kids in California cannot read at state levels of proficiency. 50% of all kids in the uh, public sector, public universities in California, K through 12, cannot read at state levels of proficiency. I went to Crenshaw High School. That was a, the school that was featured in Boys in the Hood. I just checked yesterday, 2% are math proficient. And it, it's a school that's dominated by the gang called the Crips. Who the hell sends their kid to a high school where only 2% are math proficient and a school that's dominated by Crips if they can get out? The majority of inner city parents, black and brown, both want choice. But they keep pulling that lever for Democrats that don't give them choice. Explain that to me. And when I've talked to black media, and I just did that the other day in Sacramento, I said, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of the fact that 75% of black kids cannot read a state level of proficiency? Aren't you tired of the fact that an LAUSD teacher, Los Angeles Unified Public School teacher, who has school-age kids, is twice as likely as non-teaching non -teaching families uh, to put their own kids in private school? 44% of Philadelphia public school teachers, Dave, with school-age kids have their own kids in private school, as opposed to 10% of families nationwide, 6% of black families nationwide. It's the equivalent of opening up a restaurant, putting up a sign and saying, come on in, just don't eat the food. <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about here? I said, aren't you tired of this? Aren't you tired of, of bad-mouthing the cops and the cops are pulling back? 
And the people who are hurt are the very same people that the left claims that they care about. Aren't you tired of this? So what is that disconnect? I mean, I ask this to basically all my guests at this point. What is the disconnect between voting lefty policies and then not understanding that it's those policies that are doing all the damage. Because people, by and large, are not policy wonks like you and I are. They're not looking at this, they're working. Yeah. They're trying to put food on the table. So people leave and go to Oregon, they go to places, and all of a sudden those states become more left-wing. And they bring their policies with them because they haven't connected the dots. There's a reason why houses are so high. It's called CEQA, the California Quality Environmental Act, that basically stopped any project for any reason for almost an indefinite period of time. In preparing for this race, I talked to a lot of developers and contractors, and the stories they told me. Larry, I had a 2,000 home development project all ready to roll, I got sued. I cut it down to 1,000, I got sued. I cut it down to 500, I got sued. Now it's 200 homes, 22 years later. I talked to one guy who made all of his money buying gas stations. And when I say talk to, I'm, I'm on the phone trying to raise money. 75% of being a, being a politician is raising money, huh. Um, <laughs> and I call him and I introduce myself. I said, my name's Larry Yoder, he goes, who? Didn't know who I was. I'm on radio 30 years in California in every major market. Didn't know who I was. Uh, pretty ego settling. Got a couple of viral videos with that Dave Rubin guy. Tell me about it. He, <laughs> did, he didn't know who you were either. And I said, haven't you seen me on Dave Rubin? He goes, who? And um, I, said, uh, I said, one of the things I'm going to do when I become governor is I'm going to call a state emergency and I'm going to suspend CEQA. And he goes, what's your name? CEQA was suspended for the uh, construction of the Sacramento King Stadium up in Sacramento. For a billionaire, somehow they waive sequel, but for uh -huh. people that want build, build houses. So the average person leaving California doesn't realize that stopping construction, of course, means that there's gonna be a surplus, uh, a, 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 a deficit of homes, economics 101, uh, supply and demand, and as a result, fewer, fewer supply, the, the demand goes up and the prices go up. So young people can't get their starter home the way my father was able to do uh, with an eighth grade education. And people are leaving. They don't understand the connection between the declining public schools and the fact that you literally cannot fire a teacher. Derek Chauvin, by the way, uh, however you feel about how that trial turned out, had about 15 uh, serious complaints against him. They couldn't get rid of him. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with the teachers. There are 300,000 public school teachers in the state of California. I am told by experts that between five and seven percent of them are incompetent, which means a minimum of 15,000 need to be fired. You know how many were fired last year? Two, two, and it took millions of dollars for that to happen. And they end up in the worst schools. I subscribe to Spectrum Cable. It used to irritate me how it defaults to the LA Times channel. I swear to you, that's why I got rid of cable because they would, every time you turn on the box, yeah. it no, would no, send you no, to no, their no matter channel. What you, no, what you had the night before, yeah. it's there. But after you're sitting there, you're captive, and every now and then I'm watching this stuff, and when I decided to run for office, it's local, so I wanted to get yeah. more into local issues. And the other day, two or three days ago, there's this black woman who started her own school, and it turns out two-thirds of black parents do not want to send their kids back to LAUSD. They've seen how bad the education was because they were able to watch it online, and they are ticked off. And they believe there is systemic racism, but not the normal kind of systemic racism because most of the teachers and the administrators are black. Right. They believe the worst teachers and the worst administrators end up in the, in the inner city schools where they need the best teachers and the best administrators, and they believe that's systemic racism. So they want out. I'm the one that wants to give you out. And, but I'm an Uncle Tom and I'm a sellout. Think about it. Connect the dots. All right, There's so a reason for this. Okay, so on the dots. The dots, I think, in terms of the zeitgeist of America, have been being connected. Because you've been talking about the family stuff forever, and that you got to stop throwing money at all these things. There do seem to be more red-pilled former lefties like me that perhaps because of the video that you and I did where you beat me senseless, and everyone's seen it already, <laughs> but, but people woke up. Right. So in that regard, are you feeling hopeful that maybe 
in place in pockets of, say, the black community that weren't uh, open to these ideas I that am, it is working? I am absolutely hopeful. I believe I can explain things in ways that Joe and Joe Sixpack can, can get. Again, it's not because they're stupid. It's because they're working. They're putting food on the table. They're trying to get that first starter home. Uh, but they don't realize that the connection between this and all the problems that they're complaining about. We talked about homelessness. What does Gavin Newsom and the Democrats want to do about homelessness? Build homes for the that, homeless <laughs> at, at a cost three, four, five times than what the private sector could do, A, and B, not dealing with the underlying problem why they're homeless in the first place. So even if they were able to get up and go to the homes, they wouldn't stay. Yep. Meanwhile, you're sending a single to the other states, cold weather climates. I can go to California where the weather is nice, people are going to treat me humanely, and I get a free home. Come on down! And that's what's happening. I talk to cops who tell me that many people on Skid Row aren't even from here. Yeah. No, we know that they're coming now. So when you see that places like Venice, that was used to Venice used Beach, to be was the coolest, gorgeous right. place, all in trendy, you know, bohemian. It's a disaster right now. Drugs everywhere, right. needles everywhere, and one of the reasons is because of Proposition Forty Seven that the voters in California foolishly voted for, which meant that if you still at nine fifty or less, by the way, you can do it every day. Yeah. You're not going to go to jail because you'll, get a, you'll be committing a misdemeanor, and if they catch you, they'll give you a ticket. The whole point was, and it was a legit, legitimate point, was to get people in treatment because many people who are stealing mm -hmm. are stealing to support their meth habit. But you take away the, the stick of going to jail, there's no reason to go to rehab. So the cops are saying, get up and go to rehab. F you. Why should I go? What are you going to do to me? Nothing. So what do we do about the DAs? Because that's part of it too, right? I we, mean, have two, DA now, we have two left wing, DA, we have two yeah. left wing DAs, one in the Bay Area, San Francisco, and one in LA. And by the way, they're both f facing recall elections. Yep. And uh, I also avidly support the recall of those two DAs because they're soft on crime. And this mow-mowing of the police, the police are pulling back. It's called the Ferguson effect. Now they call it the, the George Floyd effect. You're a cop. Much of police work is discretionary. You don't have to get out of the car if you don't want to. You see something that looks suspicious. Why get out of the car and run the risk somebody's going to get their cell phone, video you, and accuse you of systemic racism? So they stay in the car. They're answering radio calls, and that's it. Bad guys know it. Crime is going up. Guess who gets hurt? Black and brown people, the very people that the left claims they care about. So if, let's say you win. I'm on the elevator when, when train. I win. When, when you I win. win. When Please. you win. Don't be so negative. It, no, no, I'm, I'm with you. You Listen, said, let's say. Larry, that's you're, hypothetical. You're, I, what what did I say? We got hypotheticals out here. What did I say? After you win, comma, you want, you, want, you, want me, you want me to sit over there and I can interview myself? What are we doing over here? Come on, talk right to me. Right before we started, I said, you're my Obi-Wan and I'm Princess Leia now. You're my only hope, man. Right. This is it. If I'm going to stay in this, crazy, in this crazy city and in this crazy state. But what, what would you be modeling this after? I mean, would, would you want California to basically be modeled after, say, what DeSantis is doing in Florida? Like, does that look like a good model to you? Well, yes, it, yes, it does. But what I'm going to do when I become governor, I've had a lot of conversations. When? With, when? There you go. When, yeah. I did that for you. That was nice. I did Thank that for you. you. Uh, it, when I become governor, um, I've talked to a lot of people who are um, people that were in the administration of Pete Wilson, of, uh, of Duke Majan, uh, two Republican governors in the past. And you'd be amazed how much power the governor has, even dealing with a hostile legislature. Of course, you can veto. There's line item veto. There's the ability to declare a public emergency. Um, and that ability has been used many times by this governor to impose all these anti-science mandates. Right, not there right, is a, yeah. a public emergency of, of housing shortage. There's a public emergency of homelessness. There's a public emergency of schools. And I'm going to impose public emergencies to get rid of these bad teachers, to suspend uh, CEQA so that people will not be afraid to, to, to build. 20,000 prisoners have been released under the supervision of this man. Uh, Gavin Newsom under early release for COVID. So they're releasing felons while treating builders and contractors like felons. It's ridiculous. I'm going to reverse that. Do you think that Gavin Newsom thinks he's doing well? 
Well, how many interviews have you seen Gavin Newsom have no, in the last several months? We've reached out a million times. No, of course I mean, not. Yeah. How's he going to defend rising crime? How's he going to defend these crappy schools he wouldn't put his own kids in on a bet? How's he going to defend basically buying, buying uh, homes for homeless at ten times or five times the cost of what the private sector can do? How's he going to defend any of that? He cannot. How's he going to defend how ticked off people are about the arrogant way he shut down the state in the most severe way than any of the other 50 governors have done? He can't defend that. He doesn't want you. In uh, the 33 years that Buckley had his show called Firing Line, the last day he ended the show, somebody said, why didn't Ted, uh, Robert Kennedy, in all the times you extended him an invitation, come on your show? And Buckley said, why does the baloney avoid the grinder? He doesn't want you. He doesn't want me. He can't defend that. He's not going to debate me. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? So what do you need to happen? What, what do you think? You're I on need, the ballot. I need, I need, happen. Like, what do you think has to happen over the course of the I next? I need money. It's not a ton of time. Two I, months. I, I, need, I need money. When I was uh, induced to run by people that I like and respect. Larry, Wait, by the way, speaking, you mentioned Prager before. I said to Prager in my backyard months ago, I said, Dennis, run. I'll, I'll fundraise for you. You could have parties here, whatever. I'll, everything I can do, you can be on my channel. What, what do you he say? goes, get Larry Elder to do it. <laughs> get Larry Elder to do <laughs> it. Yeah. Get said. the black guy to do it. Um, and Dennis is also responsible for my career on radio. Uh, but for Dennis, I met him in Cleveland when I was working yeah. there. I'm from here, but I met him in Cleveland. And Dennis put me on his show. Uh, management heard me. The rest is history. And Dennis also induced me to get into this race. I told Dennis this morning, I was on his show, I said, Dennis, you're going to burn in hell. Yeah. <laughs> What are we talking about? Well, then we're all going together. I lost my transcript. No, so in the two months now, it's, it's money. Okay, so you got to oh, raise money. money. Okay, so, so I was told by people like Dennis and people like Pastor Jack Hibbs and others, Larry, because of your celebrity, because of your uh, social media uh, profile uh, platform, I got 2.5 million. I think you have a little bit more. Yeah, they're screwing you on Twitter, by the way, for I know. sure. Like, I know. You're like right up there on the, that you're engaged. I have a channel called Larry Elder Epic Times Channel. Yeah. I have 575,000 followers. I've had that same number for almost a year. It was rocking and rolling and then all of a sudden, dead stop. Yeah, no, I know because me and you were both at like 980 right. on Twitter not, and I was not, like, I want to beat not, him. Not that we're competitive or anything no, like no, that. No, of course no, not. No. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, you know, he, you know, you beat me once publicly, so I was like, I got to get to a million before him and then they just keep dead stop. to get you get there. Yeah, like dead stop. That. So the, the whole thing is about money. That's why I'm urging people to go to electelder.com. Notice how I didn't work that in until just now? No, no, it was subtle. I, I, wait, I waited on it. Yeah, yeah, it started to do it right away. I said, you know, they won't like the- That was electelder. Electelder.com. Yes, very good. And so I was told, unlike the average politician, you're not going to be on the phone 75% of the time raising money because you're so well known and all I have to do is tell people that you're going to run and all of a sudden the money's going to come be flooded again. I'm on the phone 75% of the time trying to raise money just like any other politician. There's a $34,200 limit max individual contribution. I'm sure you're going to be making that, Dave. Yeah, well, I'll have to, uh, and, uh, to talk to my guys. I'm sure. <laughs> my yeah. accountant's over here, you know. Uh, but Gavin Newsom does not have spending limitations nor raising limitations. He can spend and raise as much money as possible. Shortly after it was obvious whoa, I was whoa, going whoa. to run. So the incumbent can raise whatever they want from right. whoever they want. Right. But by, the by the way, the five, the five year tax stuff that I had to return, uh, that, that is apparently the, the problem by my getting on the ballot, uh, again, that's going to be overturned, I'm sure, uh, does not apply to him. He does not have to return, turn over five years of his taxes, just, just, the, just the rivals. Wait, I'll put that one aside, but why doesn't the incumbent have any limitations on what he can you raise? You tell me. It's California. What Tal a town, man. Yeah. yeah. We Ch are in La La Land. Ch Chinatown, Jake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I do. I have limitations on. More yeah. than that, I cannot win unless I get money from people in California and outside California who recognize how California goes. So goes the rest of the country. And I want millionaires and billionaires, to quote uh, Bernie Sanders, set up PACs 
along the lines of my philosophy about school choice, about what to do about crime, what to do about homelessness, so that I can spend beyond that. Otherwise, I'm not going to win. Uh, shortly after it was obvious I was going to run, a union gave this man $5 million. Um, so, without getting money from other people and outside other people to set up political action committees along the lines of my philosophy, I don't have any hope of beating this guy. So you consider yourself a small L libertarian, yes, right? Yes. So I, I would. You I've know, always I, been that, and I'm, yeah. I'm a registered Republican. And the reason I registered Republican about I think it was 12 years ago is I was going to run against Barbara Boxer. I wasn't going to run against a libertarian. They always lose. Right. And um, by the way, this is kind of my one of the reasons I didn't want to go into politics. I had such a bad experience then. Uh, they said, go to Washington, D.C., meet the Senate people, John Cornyn, who's still there, and uh, Inhofe from Oklahoma, who's still there, and just show them how charming you are, give them your backstory, and then they'll back you as the official candidate, and the money will come, come in. I fly to D.C. on my own dime. Uh, I didn't want there to be any shenanigans. Mm -hmm. um, and I sit there with, with Cornyn, and I tell him about my background and talk about my father and how he came to California in 1945. He was a Marine and all this. And I thought I'd won them over. I get back to LAX, phone rings. We're going with Carly Fiorina. I said, why? They said, three reasons. One, she's a woman. I said, well, I'm not going to have a sex change to run. <laughs> Number two, she has more money than you. I said, I'll give you that. Number three, she has higher name recognition than you do. I said, no, she doesn't. She does in D.C. because she was CEO of Hewlett Packard, right. but nobody knows her out here in California. She lost by 10 points and didn't put nearly as much money into her campaign as they thought. So that was my only foray into politics, other than when I ran against William Moy for fifth grade class president. <laughs> How'd you do I, took, there? I took three out of four roles. They're still cleaning up the blood. Um, so I, I just was turned off by the whole thing about politics. Yeah. Well, I know you don't. And how duplicitous it is. And many people I thought were going were to give me money didn't. And those who I didn't think was going to give me money did. And I'm still surprised all the time by the games that people play and the shenanigans people play. But uh, I am now uh, old enough and I think wise enough uh, and experienced enough in life to understand these things are going to happen. I was asked many times, what is your experience for running for, for governor? And I said, what is Gavin Newsom's experience? He was governor, uh, mayor of, of uh, San Francisco. He was eight years lieutenant governor, two years of current governor. How's he doing? There was a fellow who ran for governor, served two terms, ran for president, served two terms. His name is Ronald Reagan. Came out of the movie industry, for crying out loud. I've got common sense. I've got good judgment. I'm a native Californian. I'm a product of public schools. I know what's wrong with them. I've got ideas what to do about homelessness. I know what we can do about crime. And I know what we can do about the cost of living. So uh, when I become governor, I'm going to use my powers to declare emergencies for many of these issues. We have the same water infrastructure and the same power infrastructure as we had when California was half the population. Because if you stick a spoon in the ground, someone's going to sue you claiming it's had an adverse environmental impact under CEQA. I'm going to stop all that crap. So when Newsom's doing all of this, like the average person, especially during lockdowns, I would go to a lot of the rallies to open up the state. And I was meeting you know, people that own restaurants and people that own businesses that they were not political, they certainly were not Republicans, but they were mugged, basically mugged by reality. And they were going, I just wanna to go to work. I have a feeling a lot of them can be broken and they can move to say the conservative side or Republican or Larry Elder thing. But what do you think, is, do you think there's something else you gotta to do to get them to make that final jump? Well, that's why I need the money. I, I need to be on television. California is a big, big, big state and you need to be on TV and you need to be on radio. But Dave, it doesn't take long to find horror stories. Um, I mean, literally, they just come up to you. I don't even have to, to go look for them. The other day, I'm shooting a commercial for my, um, for my ads for, for, uh, for, for running for office. Makeup lady's putting stuff on me. We're both bored, waiting for them to set everything up. So I'm talking. I said, well, tell me about you. And she goes, well, I'm a single mom. 
and I have a 17-year-old son. He is one of the top 25 wrestlers in California for his weight class. Was wrestling six days a week, and his coach was his father figure. The coach begged them not to shut down the school and, and to keep these, want these kids to keep having the structure they were having. So now the kid is in the home with his mom, cooped up month after month after month after month. Kid becomes morose, becomes sullen. He had enough integrity and a good enough relationship with his mom that he went up to her and said, Mom, I feel suicidal. He's now in therapy. Another person on my campaign had, had a brother living in Oakland. Had is an is a, is a important word. He was a football coach, white guy. Most of all his players are black, coming from fatherless homes. He was their father figure. They practiced six days a week. He gave them structure. Begged them not to shut down the school system. These kids need to have structure. Two of them got into trouble with the law, one of whom had committed a crime so serious he's going to be in prison for years. It would not have had to happen, in his opinion, had they had the same structure that he had before. He got so ticked off, he's now in Tennessee, resuming his football coaching career. They're not here. I read a piece in the LA Times a day or two ago about you. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was something like Trump acolyte, something like that, Larry Elder's thing. And it ends in the most... I mean, it's, the media is so awful. Like, nothing surprises me at this point. But like the last line was in effect, and there was Larry Elder once again defending white people. Something to that effect. I'm loosely quoting it. She, she also she also said Larry has been uh, falsely using crime stats about yeah. black people. Didn't say what crime stats I was falsely using. And the one she's talking about yeah. is when I told her yeah. that the number one uh, cause of preventable death for young white men is accidents, like car accidents, drowning accidents. The number one cause of preventable death for young black men is homicide, almost always at the hands of another young black man. Now, unless you're prepared to say black people are just genetically inclined to commit more crime, you have to ask yourself, what the blank is going on here? And the answer is fatherless homes. There's a direct line between all these problems we're talking about and kids coming from homes without a father. And forget about elder, I think I gave you this stat before. Obama once said a kid raised without a father is five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of, uh, of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in, in prison. Now, how have we gone from 25% of black kids being born outside of wedlock in 1965 to 70% now? You're telling me that America's more racist now than it was in 1965? And the answer is a welfare state. What we've done Well, is, their answer would be yes, but your answer is a welfare <laughs> yeah, state, yeah. right? They would say yes, it's because America kept getting more racist. Yeah, kept getting more racist. Like that, after Obama gets elected and reelected. It's kind right. of a tough argument to make, but, but they make that argument. Yeah. And the fact is, we've incentivized women to marry the government, and we've allowed men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. That's why we have these problems. And speaking of racism, and you're quite right, the Democrats are really pulling out the race card now, because Donald Trump improved the percentage of black vote from 8% to 12% from 2016 to 2020. That's a 50% increase, and they are scared to death. In 27, Gallup did a poll. Obama's running for the nomination against Hillary, and uh, uh, Mitt Romney's running for the nomination on the Republican side against John McCain. What percentage of Americans, uh, Gallup asked, would not vote for somebody who's black? 5%. What percentage would not vote for somebody who's a woman? 11%. Hmm. What percentage would not vote for somebody who's a Mormon? 24%. What percentage would not vote for somebody who would be t 72 when he became president, and that'd be John McCain? 42%. So Obama had a lower hurdle than these what, three white politicians. <laughs> what are we talking about here? Grow up. Knock it off. There's a, there's a sociologist at Harvard, he's still there, his name is Orlando Patterson. Back in 1991, he said, America, despite its flaws, is the least racist majority white society in the world, provides more opportunities for all, for blacks, than any other country in the world, including all of those of Africa. That was 1991, well before Obama got elected. Last time I was on CNN, I reminded Don Lamont of a, <laughs> of, a, of, a, of a poll study that was done by Time Magazine and CNN. 
uh, black teens and white teens. They asked them both, is racism a major problem in America? And both of them said yes. And then they asked a follow-up question to the black teens. I've never seen anybody do this before. Is racism a big problem, a minor problem, or no problem in your own daily life? 89% of black teens said it was a minor problem or no problem in my own daily life. In mm. fact, twice as many black teens said, quote, failure to take advantage of available opportunities is a bigger problem than racism, end of quote. That was 23 years ago. What are we talking about here? Knock it off. Knock it off. These guys are playing the race card because they know that they have to scare a 13% of black people and a bunch of liberal white people uh, into believing that racism remains a major problem because they pulled that lever for them 90, 95% until Donald Trump came along and said, what do you have to lose? Larry, you, scared you've death. blown me away once or twice over the years, but are you telling me that the conservatives are not racist? <laughs> are, you, are you telling me that the conservatives don't hate gay people and that the conservatives generally want to live and let live? Is that, is that what you're dropping that's, right that's here? What I, that's what I'm saying. Uh, most people want people to realize their potential. Why would it be in anybody's best interest for a group of people to, be, to, to perceive them as racist? How is that making things better? Don't you want everybody to be law-abiding, uh, uh, drug-abstaining, tax-paying people? Doesn't that make everything good? Uh, and whenever I ask people about systemic racism, and I, and I always say, can you, get, can you name names? What do you get, David Duke? After that, after that the list is pretty short, isn't it? Yeah. Give me the name. Who in Congress on the Republican side is systemically racist? Give me the name, give me the name. And sometimes they say Trump. Are you kidding me? Best economy ever under Trump. Uh, he pardoned Jack Johnson, the first black heavyweight champion that, that Obama didn't do, despite the fact that Ken Burns, the lefty uh, documentarian, came to Obama and said, please pardon this guy, didn't do it. Sylvester Stallone, please pardon the guy, didn't do it. Uh, Trump does it. He also uh, commuted the sentence of a woman named Alice Johnson, who had done a very long, long uh, nonviolent drug offense. Uh, he put permanent funding of historically black colleges on for 10-year footing. No one else had done that before. Expanded opportunity zones, dropping some of the rules and regulations in distressed areas so that you, you invite more business. If he is a racist, he needs to go back to racism school. When you were watching the State of the Union and he mentioned lowest black unemployment of all time and then to watch the Congressional Black Caucus go sit like there that, like yeah. this, right. like to me that was everything that you've preached about in your 40 years doing this. How, how many years have you been on air at this point? Uh, 27. 27, I, I gave you an extra 14. But you in know, all of those black, years- Black don't crack. <laughs> I know I, know I look really, good. I know I look really good. good. But, but when you watch that moment, it must have just been like, man, I have been screaming about this stuff. Here's the guy doing this stuff, and they dare sit there. But it's just one little example. They've been doing this for years. Uh, Obama's mom sent him back from Indonesia when he was 10 years old to eventually go to Punahou, the finest prep school in the state of, of Hawaii, because she wanted him to have better education. Michelle Obama did not go to a charter school. They didn't exist then, but she did not go to the, her local go government school because it was so bad. She got on the bus and went to a much better school, Ice Cube, the rapper. Uh, he didn't go to his local uh, government school. He went to Taft, which at the time was predominantly white. So what are they telling you? They're telling you they want choice, but you don't get choice. And they're beholden to the teachers' union that adamantly opposes choice for all the reasons I just now mentioned. They don't get their automatic dues from the teachers' union, and therefore they, it threatens them. They couldn't care less about the quality of education. And I mentioned the 300,000 teachers uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, in public school teachers in California, and the average year only 2.2 are fired. Imagine... I told you between five and seven percent of them are perceived to be incompetent. There are 20,000 cops here in, in, uh, in LA. Imagine if five percent of them were bad cops. That's a thousand cops on the streets. We wouldn't put up with it. Yeah. We put up with 15,000 bad teachers. Who wants to do something about that? We do. They don't. But I'm the bad guy. I'm the Uncle Tom. Think about it. Open up your eyes. Who's on your side? Now, the beauty of our, of our private ballots is you can go in there 
in your mailing ballot, and you can vote for a Republican, and nobody has to know about it. So I'm telling these independents and Democrats, pull the lever for me. Don't tell anybody. Who's on your side? I'm on your side. I, I'm going to tell people. I, I'm going to tell people. Well, let's talk about elections for a little bit because I voted. I voted for Trump during the presidential election, and I voted against all of the tax increases that they wanted to throw on us here in Cali and in L.A. But I don't have to show an ID, and I was actually quite amazed because then I thought, well, I could just walk back. All you need is your name and your address. I could be my neighbor and vote the next day, and the next day, and the next day. How how broken do you think the whole system is at this point? And actually, related to California specifically, are you confident that once you're in and, and that, the, that the election will even be legit in, a, in such a broken state? Well, I, I'm, I'm confident. If it isn't, uh, again, I got good lawyers. People say possession of the, of the as I said, possession is nine-tenths of the law, and the possession of a good lawyer is nine-tenths of the law. Yeah. I've got good lawyers. Regarding Trump, if I, if, I, if I may, a number of reporters, what are you going to do about the fact that you voted for Trump? Well, I'm a Republican. Uh, I voted for the Trump over Hillary. Uh, I should apologize for that. The last time I voted for a Democrat was Jimmy Carter, and I regret that. Um, I, and I will vote for whoever is a standard bearer in 2024. Uh, you're not running against Trump. You're running, Gavin Newsom running against Larry Elder. And that's what they try and do. What Gavin Newsom and, and his people said when, the, when this thing got certified, this is all being driven by white nationalists. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Dave, you know me now for a few years. I'm a lot of things, but it look like a white nationalist to you. Not a white. <laughs> not, not a white one, you, anyway. you in your robe in the Hollywood Hills with your red wine, not a white nationalist. But what do we do? But are, are you confident that an election would be legit in a state that we know is so deeply corrupt for them? Well, I, I, having been not included on the, uh, on the ballot <laughs> for, for, for these ridiculous reasons, uh, I'm a little worried. They're scared to death. The unions are scared. The public sector unions in particular are scared. Remember when Scott Walker did the union reform mm -hmm. and, and reduced their bargaining to wages, but not benefits and not uh, discipline? Uh, and All not, hell broke loose. Right. And uh, he also made them, if you're going to get a raise beyond 2%, uh, beyond inflation, you need to go to the polls and, and ask the voters. He stopped the automatic deduction of union dues. I'm going to do all of that, too. And they showed up at his house, and they picketed his house, and they threatened him. Uh, they took they, over the state capital. Took over the state capital. It wasn't an insurrection when they did it. Of course not. No, it was yeah. just a... It was uh, just a friendly uh, gathering. Uh, uh, a civil disturbance. Yeah. Um, and it's going to happen to me. It's going to yeah. happen to my house, too. Bring it. I've been asked, Larry, are you afraid of being unpopular? I'm a guy who's been called an Uncle Tom and a bootlicker and a sellout uh, and a bug-eyed bootlicking sellout for 27 years. But what they rarely call me is wrong. That's the word I fear the most, wrong. They don't say that. So bring it. Hold my beer. You're happy in all this. I mean, that's why I love you, because you're, you're also just happy in all of this. You, you're fighting for I'm not, stuff you because, believe because, in. Because unlike the left, I don't believe if you, if you disagree with me, you're a bad person. Yeah. That's how they think of us. Yeah. If you don't believe that racism is a major problem in America, you're a bad person. If you don't believe that taxes should be raised on rich people, you're a bad human being. If you don't believe that the court should be stop, stacked with a bunch of people who think like Sonia Sotomayor, you're a bad person. I don't feel that way about you. I just believe that you are ill-informed. You haven't met anybody like me. My mom was a Democrat. My brother was a Democrat. Both of them, I got them both to vote for George W. Bush twice. They still didn't change their party affiliation, but I got them to vote the right way. They didn't tell anybody. Yeah. So I don't think you're a bad person. You're just ill-informed. And I believe that the captain of the Titanic, Dave, had he known the iceberg was there, he would have taken evasive action. I think a lot of people don't realize the iceberg is there, but once they do, they will take evasive action. It's up to me to explain to them, connect the dots, explain to them why we need choice in school, why the cost of living is so high and what can be done about it, what we can do about homelessness. It's up to me to explain that, and I believe I can do that in a way that Joe and Joan Sixpack can, can do better than almost anybody else, because I'm a communicator, and I've thought about these ideas, and I've written, um, 
a column every week since April of 1998. I've written a, a half a dozen books discussing these kinds of things. I'm on in every major market up and down California from Sacramento to San Diego, and I believe I can accomplish this in a way more effective than anybody else. There's some very good Republicans in there. Some of them are quite good policy wonks. And uh, one of them is going to get the first call to be my chief of staff when I win. So how are you going to bring, can, I mean, have you tried to talk to some of them and be like, guys, let's all call, coalesce around somebody. I hope it's me. Uh, no, we haven't. Um, but what's happened, as I've given interviews, is they've tried to get me to slice and dice my, my rivals. And I said, I'm not playing that. We should turn our cannon fire towards the prize. And the prize is Gavin Newsom. Keep our eye on the prize and everything will be just fine. I think the more the merrier. I think everybody brings a little bit of the audience, a little bit of intensity with them. And our intensity level versus the Democrats, off the chart. Mm -hmm. That's why I believe we're going to win. What do we do about taxes in this ridiculous state? Well, I'm not going to be able to roll them back, really, because I'll be dealing with two-thirds of the, of the legislature. We talked about it, right. and I've talked to a lot of budget experts. Virtually almost all the budget is on automatic pilot. What I can do is stop bad stuff. You'd be surprised how seldom a government veto is overturned. I checked when I first started not to run. I said, you know, they'll overrun all my vetoes. I didn't realize Arnold Schwarzenegger vetoed hundreds of bills. Not a single one was overridden. There hasn't been a veto overridden since the early 70s, the first uh, of the two two terms that Jerry Brown had. Wait, what, what's the possible reasoning for that? Just because they don't want to work? Because, because the bills are so stupid. Once you veto them, you hold a press conference explain why. Uh, people put pressure on their local senator, their local assembly person, and all of a sudden they back down. They don't defend the bills. So I can at least stop bad stuff from happening. Uh, I can stop single payer. Uh, that's what they would love to do if they could get away with it. I can stop that. I can stop some of these kinds of things. And as I said, I can use my emergency powers to suspend CEQA, my emergency powers so that I, I can unleash the power of, of builders. I'm told by several builders there are 500,000 units right on the board, ready to go. All you have to do is just, just lift, the, lift the, uh, the, the injunctions and we're ready to go. Larry, we got a mask mandate here in uh, L.A. again. All uh -huh. against science. It's L.A. County, and the L.A. County Sheriff, Alex Villanueva, oh, I talked to him a few days ago, said, this is anti-science. I'm not going to use my manpower to enforce it. What does that tell you? What does it tell you? This man, Gavin Newsom, has imposed all these mandates completely against science. These guys are all about science until they're not. So this woman, Barbara Ferrer, who is the one that actually put, put this mandate in place, right. um, what do we do about that elected class? I don't even, is she elected? I'm not even sure if she's elected. What do we do about that layer of these people, like the woman who you know voted to shut down all the restaurants outdoors, right. but then knew it wasn't gonna kick in for 48 hours, so then she ate outdoors yeah, in Santa was, Monica? Yeah, that was Sheila, I pro Sheila, Sheila Kuhn, I, I, I protested at her house that day. Did you really? I didn't want to do it at her house, but that's where they were doing it. I, I don't like bringing it to people's houses, obviously, but that, that's where you they didn't did. have a choice. But, but point is, what do we do about that class of people? Because those guys seem to be pulling the levers in some ways more than Garcetti, I don't hear him say anything about LA anymore. Yeah. I mean, he's on his way to India. Again, one of the big things I'm gonna have is the bully pulpit. I'll be able to talk about people like that. And one of, one of the other things I was told when I become governor is to empower the Republicans up there. I know they're outnumbered, but if you tell the Democrat lawmakers, look, if you don't get bipartisan buy-in, I'm gonna veto. And so all of a sudden the bills become much more sensible, they involve the Republicans to the degree they never have before. So that's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to empower Republicans. I'm gonna give them backbone. I think that's one of the things Donald Trump did by being so politically incorrect and telling the truth. He said, what do you have to lose to black people? And they begin to say, what do I have to lose? What do you have to lose? I saw a guy when I was in the Bay Area just uh, on a campaign thing, poop in the middle of the street uh, and then devour his poop. Do we have to do this? Do we have to watch this? This guy needs help. And it's not helping him. It's not helping the homeless population. We need to do something about all of this stuff. And I'm going to do that. Elder, because you are a professional. You're a broadcasting pro. Not like a lot of the people I bring in here. You're a broadcasting professional. 
There's a camera right there. Tell that camera where you can go and final statement. Larry I can't Elder. remember the website, but I think it's electelder.com, <laughs> electelder.com. I'm going to need your help. The top maximum individual contribution, as I was just telling Dave, is $34,200. So please, 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 some of you rich people out there, max out. And some of the people outside of California who are very, very wealthy, billionaires, millionaires, many of you left because of all of this. Set up a pack or give your money to a pack that's got a philosophy along the lines of mine. Let's turn this state around because we have a state to save. Electelder.com, electelder.com. Do you like this outfit? Yeah. My, my girlfriend wasn't here to tell me what to wear, so I, I took a chance and I did the no, orange. very professional. I did very. the orange kind of blue thing. I'm not sure that works. All right, I'm going to host a fundraiser here. Now I've said it publicly, so I have to do it. Is uh, Dave on the record saying 34-2 maxing out? I got my talk to my account. He's in <laughs> the bathroom right now. Thanks, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for bringing me to a whole new audience of young people. You've often talked about the interview where you feel that you kind of had your assumptions uh, torn asunder, but you also elevated me to another level of a popularity that I did not have. I think I told you before, a young person suggested I interview with you. I didn't know who you were. Yeah. I said, Larry, get your head out of your, you know, uh, take the pole out. This guy is the man. Uh, he's cutting edge. And you exposed me to a whole generation of young people who did not know who I was. So I, I also blame you for my feeling that I can turn around some of these young people because uh, a lot of people wrote me and, and, and you look in the comments, I saw you on Dave Rubin, I saw you on Dave Rubin, I thought the way Dave did. And when you told him about the stats regarding the police, that the police are more likely to, to, to be hesitant to pull the trigger on a black suspect than the white suspect, I didn't realize, realize that. I went back and I saw the stats. And so thank you so much, David, for introducing me to a whole audience that I never would have known but for you, honestly. Larry, we're in this thing together. We, we are. We really are, and you were telling me how much you love comics before, and I got my comic collection right there, and it's like, we're in the Avengers now, together. We are. And we, we, are. we got a bad enemy to fight, but they beat Thanos, I think we're gonna be all right. That's right. Thanks for tuning in everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.